Hey, thank you for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast at the Standing for Freedom Center right here at Liberty University. Where have all the cowboys gone? Where are all the men? We have to talk about this. Now, more than ever, men are needed. Biblical men, biblical masculinity is missing from the public arena. And who better to talk about that than my friend, Dr. Owen Strand, who joins the Give Me Liberty podcast starting now. Hey, welcome back to the Give Me Liberty podcast. I'm joined by my very special guest and friend, Dr. Owen Strand. He's the provost of Grace Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of the most recent book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Owen, welcome to the Give Me Liberty podcast. Thank you. Please do give me that. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, uh, I'm just so thankful you're here and thankful to call you friend. Um, I, it's hard to believe, I'll just say this, it's hard to believe that your book is almost two years old. How quickly things have shifted and changed in the public arena. You know, when we were, t- we're talking about wokeness in, in regards to critical race theory, now we have, you know, not that this is new in the past two years, but it seems like this is sucking all the oxygen in the media. The radical sexual gender theory, queer theory, all of those things that are consuming education and the political cultural conversation right now. Seems like we are, that's all we're talking about. Even this week, um, you know, the time of us recording this, uh, the Grammys, everybody's talking about what took place with Sam Smith at the Grammys. Um, you know, the, the, the question last year, I think the leading question, Daily Wire, Matt Walsh is, what is a woman? Uh, but we've forgotten, and I think this is also assumed in the question, what is a man? And that's what I wanted to bring you on to talk about is we need to recover masculinity, but we need to cover biblical masculinity and God's vision and his design behind what it is to be a man. Yeah, that's exactly right. We don't need a generic masculinity. We recognize that lots of people are going to understand different elements of true manhood. Uh, There's always going to be common grace out there. There are going to be different voices across the spectrum especially on the more conservative side of things that are going to understand that men are distinct from women, that men are distinct from boys, that boys should grow up to be men, uh, that men should be strong for others, which is really kind of the working definition of manhood I think we can offer. But fundamentally, Ryan, what we need as uh, men ourselves, what our families need, our churches need, our society needs, is not a generic manhood stripped of any religious identification. We need to be confident Christians. You and I are Christians, and we need to say what the world most needs is biblical manhood. We're grateful wherever we see men acting strongly. We're grateful for men in the military, policemen, these kind of uh, of figures, firefighters, and so on. We're grateful for the traditional vestige of manhood that we still have to a significant degree in America. But Ryan, that's not going to get the job done. We've got to have something fuller orbed, richer and stronger. And again, that is biblical manhood. Mm, Absolutely. So well said. You know, I was thinking about even in preparation for you coming on, thinking about this episode, I was kind of ruminating on this, looking back, you know, something like, I want to say it was like 1995 or 1996. uh, There was a song by Paula Cole 
Um, there's some people that would know what this is. Other people, it's like, man, old man, I've never heard that song. You know, like we're to I'm, I'm totally dating myself here, aging myself. But the song was, where have all the cowboys gone? Mm -hmm. And it's this sort of sad dirge about, you know, the image of a man, kind of a John Wayne marble, you know, man wearing the Stetsons, you know, he's manly, he's machismo, machismo, you know, uh, she falls in love with him. Uh, she becomes pregnant. Uh, she gets married. And then, you know, she's mourning over the fact that, you know, this cowboy is not like the cowboy of the movies where he's tender and devoted. He's strong, right? Uh, he can take on all the bad guys and whoop them. You know, he's a gunslinger uh, and violent when he needs to be. But he, he doesn't, at the end of the day, uh, he doesn't mirror that kind of you know, John Wayne, Gary Cooper, whoever else who kind of swoops in, saves the day and, and it marries the girl and is faithful and tender. Instead, he's absent and he's a lot like a Peter Pan. That was the 1990s. And she was largely commenting maybe on the, on, on the culture at large that men are not being men. Um, and there's this sort of, here we have this toxic masculinity, which I think is more of a straw man, if you will, um, mm -hmm. that has been made larger than life when I think the reality is we don't have this kind of masculine man. I think we have something that's more like a man-child, uh, an effeminate, tender, soft-footed, soft hands, soft face, soft belly man, yeah. uh, you know, of, of modernity, uh, who doesn't face any responsibility, who doesn't take on challenges, who doesn't protect women or defend them, who doesn't even provide. Uh, he's, he's more of a mooch and a leech on a, and a drag on society rather than actually uh, going out there and facing the world and, and conquering giants. Uh, he's the boy who would rather stay home. I think that's yeah. where we've arrived in a culture. It's just a soft, sad whimper of masculinity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what men are supposed to be. So that song that I can hear playing in my head, uh, as, as you said it, because I, I was a teenager in the 90s. So there we are boldly dating ourselves, not dating <laughs> ourselves in one way. This is a confused. It's a very confused moment in 2023 to say a sentence like that. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm not dating myself, but I am dating myself in terms of chronology. And um, yeah, it, it's funny to think about even the 1990s because that's really the peak of feminism in America when you've got this bold feminist movement that is um, driving women to step forward and take masculine roles and be the breadwinner and be the head of the home. And yet there's that kind of witness among the arts and other areas of society uh, that shows that women, even of that time, recognize they're losing something. They've lost specifically someone. Um, the deal is you can't tell men to not be men. Uh, if I can use language about 20 years later from Sheryl Sandberg and her famous book, you can't tell men in so many words to lean back and tell women to lean in and expect that there are gonna be all these cowboys around you uh, in the best sense, like you were talking about, to uh, lead you, protect you, and provide for you. You get one or the other. Um, you, you talked about the soft man. I've got a book coming out in the fall uh, with Salem called The War on Men. 
And um, you and I didn't talk about this beforehand months ago or anything, but the soft man is really the category I take strongest aim at in this manuscript, in the war on men. And um, there are so many soft men today. Uh, they, they have been told that they're supposed to be nice above all. They're not supposed to break anything. They're not supposed to take any risks. They're just supposed to sit there, listen, smile, nod at whatever women say, and pose no threat or challenge to women. The deal, though, is if you turn out uh, a whole bunch of soft men, you're not going to get what you most need, what you truly need, which is strong men. We can talk more about what a strong man is, but suffice it to say, Ryan, that our culture has traded in the cowboy, if you will, the strong man for the soft man, and we're all worse off for it. Yeah, it's interesting too, you're exactly right. There's these ideals now that are sort of championed, right? The, the, the aspirational identities in our culture are more of those of a victim category. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, those that, um, you know, when you think about wokeness and its influence on all the different various different identity groups. These are the these are the you know the under underclass, the underrepresented uh, underrepresented in our society. Um, it, you know people are aspirationally taking on those identities. And interestingly enough, the church has kind of mirrored that in a way. The the culture at large has spilled over into the church. And so I think about these things like like the word humility. You know, humility is used often, meekness, right? But what we've traded those and exchanged those for is something more akin to cowardice and weakness. Humility is cowardice by today's definition, and meekness is really weakness. It's not power under control. It's not a warrior becoming a gardener, but he's really a warrior. Instead, it's somebody who is a gardener who could never be a warrior, because he has no he has no instincts or inclination to ever be. In fact, you know, it's not that he's humble, Owen, it's that he's a coward. He's he's actually afraid of confronting the giant, right? Now I want to be careful. We're not David, we're not called to be uh David in terms of his uh, in terms of the Christocentric Christological type in scripture. I know that. But we have to also recognize that there are moments in our life where we do have to meet and face and confront challenges faithfully trusting in the Lord. And that is a humble call. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes humility to be courageous, yeah. uh, not to be cowardly. Yeah, exactly right. The, the godly man who's ultimately epitomized in Jesus Christ is not one thing. He's many things. Um, look at the qualifications of an elder in terms of the local church in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. He's supposed to have a whole range of traits. Um, Jesus Christ, going back to him for a minute, was, was both very tender and gentle with children, for example, Matthew 19. But Jesus also felt no hesitation in taking the time to make a whip of cords, John 2, and scourge the temple. So godly men biblical men, gospel-powered men, are not one thing. We're many things. Um, like that picture of, uh, I believe it was a Marine, uh, from the withdrawal in Afghanistan yeah. uh, right. from about a year ago or so, exactly when it was. 
you've got this dude who probably half an hour ago, this famous picture of this Marine holding a baby, half an hour ago, he was fighting uh, to, to protect the lives of others and, and killing evil men as was needed. And then fast forward 30 minutes later, he's got a baby in his arms and he's smiling at the baby. That is such a beautiful picture uh, of what scripture calls men to be. Um, as God leads and allows and blesses, we're men who get on the floor with our daughters and have tea parties, but then we're men who hopefully stand up in our jobs or in our communities and our society, and we take fire for declaring truth, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. And that's, of course, going back to Jesus, uh, as I wrap this up, that's, that's who Jesus was. Uh, and so that's who we men are called to be by the power of Jesus. And when we look at David, we're supposed to be profoundly encouraged by David. No, we're not going to be David. No, we're not going to redeem God's people like the greater David did. But man, part of what has happened here is um, men have had the men of Scripture either muted or taken away from them. I remember, I'm sorry, I'm going on here a little bit, but I remember. This is great. Sorry, bro. Um, you can deduct this from my commission at the end. Um, I, I, that's a joke. I remember in this one conference um, on, the, on the scripture, um, somehow we got to the mighty men of David, okay? These, these ferocious warriors uh, who, who eventually surrounded King David, who, who God led to King David and became his Navy SEALs, if you were. And you read about them in 2 Samuel 23, and they're awesome. There's one dude who slew 800. There's another man, a mighty man, who went down into a pit and faced off against a lion and killed it with his hands. So these guys are incredible. And I remember this pastor who was reformed or gospel-centered or whatever you want to say, all these things, um, sniffing at the mighty men with an air of disdain. And this was a good guy. And I realized in that moment, oh, okay, men of my generation, you're in my generation, Ryan, and younger, they think of manly things and traditionally manly men as silly, uh, as sort of out of control. And they think of themselves as essentially, they probably wouldn't use this term, evolved men. We've gone past that. We're, we're not in the bloodthirsty era of the warrior anymore. We're in the genteel era. Now, you and I can put on a jacket and hopefully look like a gentleman and conduct ourselves like a gentleman, but we also need to put on the warrior's boots and go to war in the name of Christ against spiritual powers and principalities. Amen. I, I agree with that. And by the way, uh, we'll find out how evolved we are when the financial system collapses <laughs> or, or some great... Now, I'm not saying I'm not predicting this at all. So no, don't hear me saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that we, we're all evolved and cosmopolitan and sophisticated, and we've outmoded all of these quaint, sort of arcane, less than conventional modes. All that is historic and past us. Oh, until the next great national or global disaster comes upon us, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yes, the real men will come forward. Not because, <laughs> not because no other men are, are, are exist in, on the face of the planet, but they just will not be there. They will and not here, stand up. And here's yeah. the thing, Ryan, here's the thing. Sorry, you're getting me going. I mean, the, there's a, there's a way of thinking among the cosmopolitan and elite, whether in the church or out of it, that again, sniffs at strong manhood, disdains kind of you know, warrior manhood, beating your chest manhood with face paint on or something among trees. But um, <laughs> to sound like Ghostbusters uh, yeah. for a moment, 
who who does everybody uh unless you live in seattle a couple years ago who does everybody call when there is a crisis well you call firefighters you call policemen even today in our feminist age post-feminist age when basically every profession has been um mixed completely even today most firefighters and police officers are men uh even today when um, there's a highway emergency, um, not in every case, but in many cases, the people who show up to clear the, the truck that is in flames on the highway that shuts down traffic and snow for 18 hours, endangering life after life after life, typically those who end up showing up there who want to take on that tough, dangerous, risky job are men. It's not that women can't do it, but it just tends to be because men have on average 2000% more testosterone than women, God given, that men want to do those jobs. So it's funny because on the one hand, our um, man-hating society disdains men. And on the other hand, our man-hating society needs men more than ever. Amen. Okay, so I know this. I know that this is something we could talk about a lot. And I, what I'm hoping is that we have more conversations. I want to transition now to talking a little bit about how we cultivate that biblical manhood. Because here's the thing. There's the natural man, right? Um, and actually, I think the natural man, Owen, is weak. I think the natural man is somebody who is unbridled and, and, and doesn't have discipline. I think the natural man is cowardly. I think the natural man is passive. I, I think that the biblical man is actually intentional, is disciplined, is bridled, um, is power under control, but it has to be cultivated. It's not something that just, oh, men are naturally, you know, uh, you know, geared towards taking action. No, if you if you look at um, throughout biblical history, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, and New, both. No, it, it's Peter uh, cowering uh, at a little girl's inquiry as to where, whether or not he is, he is indeed with the Christ who, who has just been arrested. That's Peter. That's the natural Peter, right? Um, it's it's uh, King Saul who, upon his coronation, is hiding behind the baggage because he's, he's absolutely terrified of taking on this God-given responsibility as right. king like the other nations, right? So there's, by the way, there's numerous examples of all this kind of passivity that you see in this weakness. How do we cultivate this biblical masculinity? Yeah, I think you're dead right. I think that the dominant type that, that unregenerate, unsaved men incline toward is uh, the soft man. There's also the exaggerated man of Samson, who who's kind of the machismo guy. You know, he's just living by his strength and and by his eyes, his lusts. Um, there's the angry man of Cain, you see in scripture, who um, has his brother present a better sacrifice to God in Genesis 4, and so Cain kills him. Um, uh, there's the lost man of Adam, who uh, when the serpent invades Eden, uh, Adam does absolutely nothing to protect his wife. The Lord literally said that he was in Eden, Adam was in Eden, Genesis 2.15, to work and keep or work and guard Eden but Adam does no such thing. So there's different ways that men fail, but a very common one in our flesh is to be soft and passive, as you very rightly said. The, the fundamental way to, to attack this problem is really twofold. It's to have churches that celebrate and teach Christ-shaped biblical manhood, 
in which men are called by way of synopsis to be both tender and tough, not one or the other, both tender and tough. It's crazy because I feel pedantic in saying that twice, but you'd be shocked at how often, even in the biblical uh, Bible-loving world, we incline toward one or the other. And then it's homes that are in, impacted by those churches in which there is a father who is called by God to enflesh this truth and live it out. And none of us fathers, me included, are going to be remote, remotely perfect in this. We're going to fail and stumble in many ways, like James says. Um, but God has ordained it that in ideal terms, there would be a grace-powered father in the home who is on an hour-by-hour -hour basis showing his son uh, that toughness and that tenderness in the name of Christ. So if we could have even just those two elements addressed in our time, um, we would be well on our way to a recovery of strong manhood, uh, no matter what the culture uh, does or attacks us by. I love how you point to the community of Christ first, the bride of Christ, that churches really do need uh, to cultivate this uh, and, 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 and model this, celebrate manhood, celebrate biblical masculinity. Uh, this is a part of, of ordinary, regular discipleship. And it's not in the, it's, we go back to a time of crisis or time of greatest need, who do you call? At that moment, it's too late to train up the, you know, by the grace of God, God always prepares people for moments, but yeah. it's too late in that moment, in a moment of crisis to say, okay, who's going to play the man? You know, it, it, is, it is hopefully, uh, it has been a season that people have walked through. Uh, where they have been discipled and prepared and made ready. You know, when, when um, uh, David, you know, went before Goliath, right? He says what? You know, that he basically had beaten lion and bear uh, to protect the flock. So it's not the first time he held the sling and the rock in his hand. He had yeah. already cultivated some of that in his own life. So we start with the church. Talk yeah. a little bit, maybe, maybe tease that out a little bit. Um, in the closing closing moments. Yeah. There's a book that came out not long ago uh, called It's Good to Be a Man, which is helpful. And that's a major message that churches need to send out. Not just the dude who's meek and timid and super duper patient and these sorts of things. Men have to bear the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But churches have to celebrate distinctive manliness, that aggressive mindset for the glory of God that risk-taking mentality, uh, that, that um, celebration of testosterone um, channeled through the spirit uh, that, that the church really is built upon. And the church needs to make this very clear as well. Pastors should stand up in pulpits, not in an angry way or something like this, not calling fire down from heaven, but pastors should graciously and shepherdingly say, men, you are not toxic. There is not one toxic man out there. There, there are many sinful men out there. there. There are tons of men who need the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That's every man uh, born onto this earth. But there is no such thing per this therapeutic category as toxic manhood. Boys are having it drummed into their brain over and over and over again. In my book, The War on Men, I attack this because 
it's not just that I disagree with it or I happen to be on the, uh, the, the strong side of these things. It's that if you teach boys they're toxic, some of them are going to believe you. And then when they grow up, they're going to destroy marriages. They're going to prey on women. Uh, they're going to shoot up public spaces and on it could go. So part of what the church has to make clear is that God made manhood and that men are sinners, but men are also image bearers. Men are not worse than women. Men have an outsized capacity in terms of strength, but men are sinners just like women who need the grace of God. And every man, last thing I'll say, is completely and fully redeemable by the power of the cross. There is no man who is too far gone for Christ. Mm, very well said. And a high note to end that on. By the way, this conversation doesn't end. I think we're going to have many more like it. Dr. Owen Strand, thank you so much, my friend, for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast. And folks, stick around for final thoughts. Hey, thank you for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast. Please like and subscribe and share with a friend. It was such a great conversation with my friend Owen Strand, uh, someone I've known for a greater part of, the, of a decade. Uh, he is always perceptive in his analysis of cultural events and what is happening all around the church. There is a great confluence of church and culture. And so much of what is happening in the culture at large is spilling over into the church not only the issue of toxic masculinity, but biblical masculinity is largely missing from the public arena. Where have all the men gone? That's the question. Men have to face up to the responsibility uh, that they've been given by God. When we were created from the very beginning, man and woman made in God's image, we were given certain responsibilities. Men have a responsibility to protect and provide as the stronger, and I mean that in physical strength, as the stronger sex, biblically speaking, there is a responsibility. There is a requirement to protect children, to protect women, to protect and defend the innocent and those who cannot defend themselves. That is so critical also for a free and flourishing society. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a lot to do, and there is a responsibility and the grave concern that we have in the American culture at large is missing men. The church can speak into that, and they can raise up the next generation. That's needed now more than ever. We'll have more to say on that issue and many other cultural topics on future Give Me Liberty podcasts. Until next time, God bless you.